This week on Geek Explained, with the release of Ultimate Invasion number one finally upon us, it's time to rewind the clock back to where it all began. Returning guest Dallas of the Comics Collective podcast joins me to put the Geek Explained spotlight on Mark Millar and Brian Hitch's The Ultimates. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is our latest Geek Explained Spotlight, where I take a comic book, graphic novel, miniseries, maxi series, whatever. And I just talk about why it's so freaking good. And this time, I'm going to be joined by Dallas of the Comics Collective podcast to discuss The Ultimates, the original 13-issue series by Mark Millar and Brian Hitch that was more or less the blueprint for The Ultimate Universe. This is, of course, part three of Ultimate Junevasion, where we are celebrating the return of The Ultimate Universe by dedicating the entire month of June to Earth-1610. And it's a pretty great conversation. I'm not going to lie to you. Dallas is always wonderful. I love getting to chat with him. He always unlocks something new in me every time we discuss anything having to do with comics. His podcast, The Comics Collective, which I will uh, link in the show notes, is wonderful. I was a guest with them last week for uh, a discussion on the Superman Rebirth run. They're amazing over there. Dallas alongside uh, Ann and Lexi are incredible. And having Dallas on here to talk about one of the most complicated comics to talk about, whether you're talking about the characterization, the actual narrative and plot inside the comic, or just how much it's aged over the last 20 years. It's fascinating. So we get into all that this week. Uh, This past week has been really interesting as well. Uh, Some interesting things, some not so interesting things. Uh, First off, Superman and Lois has officially been renewed for season four, which I'm over the moon about. However, this does come with a monkey's paw where they are slashing the budget. Half of their cast is being demoted from series regulars to either recurring or guest stars, which sucks. And I am going to assume that the way this is looking, that season four might be it for Superman and Lois. So they might be going the way of let's just make this as good as possible. I hope they do so that they can kind of go out on their own terms, but we will see. Uh, We also got, speaking of uh, some live action adaptation news, uh, the first trailer for Craven the Hunter. Uh, Real quick, just shout out to all of my Catman fans, all of my Catman fans who were absolutely appalled to see the, trailer for Craven the Hunter just blatantly rip off Catman's origin. Um, they did a red band trailer that released as well as a more sanitized green band trailer. Uh, and it's fine. I mean, it's it's it looks to be about the same quality as your Morbiuses, your Venoms. So, I mean, it's at this point, you know, you, you just got to kind of sit and laugh with it. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson looks the part. He looks fantastic when he actually wears the Craven getup. He looks awesome, intimidating, imposing. The poster is straight up an homage to a really popular Craven uh, artwork. But 
it's that's you know it is what it is the trailers that i was more excited about funny enough uh well one of them is trailers the other one is just first looks but we got a trailer for that live action one piece that netflix is doing um and it looks fun, man. I, I don't know. I know it's probably not going to be anything special, but it looked really fun. I'm excited to see what they do with it. And then we also got the first looks at the Avatar The Last Airbender adaptation that they're doing. Uh, and everyone looks phenomenal. It looks like they're really digging into translating uh, the character design, the costuming, just the overall vibe of the animated series and kind of trying to make it as live action as possible without trying to go full Shyamalan you never want to go full Shyamalan but I'm really ex excited and I'm interested to see what they do uh, we also got the announcement that Captain Marvel is getting another new series uh, after the Kelly Thompson run is wrapped I think this is dropping in September say September or October but the reason I'm really excited about it is because the team that is behind it Alyssa Wong Alyssa Wong killing it right now just the busiest rising star in comics uh she's crushing it uh go pick up spirit world just do it I will be in your walls if you don't uh, but she's gonna be writing with art by Jan Bazaldwa love Bazaldwa's art We've, we've been over on the book club praising Bazaldo's art since forever. So go check that out. Um, a brand new design as well from Jen Bartel, which looks fantastic. The little tassel that comes off of the jacket to resemble the old school Miss um, Marvel sash. Just brilliant character design. Brilliant character design. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Really excited. I, you know, I'm, this, this might get me to be a regular reader of Captain Marvel Comics. Who knows? But one big last thing. Uh, it's kind of a personal plug for me. I am in another video game. That's right. My second video game uh, released this past, uh, this past week. It is the latest expansion to Black Desert Online. If you are familiar, if you're a fan of that game. I am in the newest expansion, uh, Land of the Morning Lights. I am playing both uh, Samdal, who is a uh, stable keeper. If you go check out the new area, stable keeper, go buy a horse for me. It's great. And I'm also Gapsam, who is a one of the um, merchants leaders in Moodle Village. So go check those out. If you play those games, let me know if you find me. If you if you hear me, if you see me, let me know. Screenshot it. Tag me at that daring man or at GeekSplainedPod. I uh, would love to see if you are if you're playing that game, you running into me. Uh, but Back to the matter at hand, uh, we have our big talk with Dallas putting the Geeksplain spotlight on the Ultimates. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, so make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump. Uh, I am currently percolating what I might be doing if people are interested in the weekly review. I'll probably, by the time that this episode drops, uh, be putting up a poll on Twitter, so check that out at explain a pod vote in the poll if you want to see me continue the weekly review series uh i enjoy doing it but i want to know if that's something that you all are interested in so let your voice be heard go on twitter at explain pod answer the poll and then i'll probably depending on the uh results of that poll will then kind of get into what i should be reviewing so uh yeah so get into all of that 
comics countdown coming later but for now let's roll right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i and dallas of the comics collective podcast put the geek explain spotlight on the ultimates In 2002, there was an idea. Take an extraordinary group of individuals and bring them from the 1960s into the 21st century. And here we are, 11 years later. The Ultimates have taken the world by storm in several different ways. And as we are on the precipice of a brand new Ultimate Universe, potentially, we don't know for sure, we are going to be taking a look back at the comic that kind of sort of technically started it all if you completely ignore Ultimate Spider-Man. That's the Ultimates, of course. We're talking Mark Millar, Brian Hitch, all of your favorite Avengers that aren't really heroes unless you look at them in the very broad aspect of the early 2000s. We are putting the spotlight, the Geek Explained Spotlight, where every single month I take a look at a comic, graphic novel, limited series, maxi series, what have you, and just talk about why it's so freaking great. And as part of Ultimate June Vasion, we're taking a look at the original Ultimates series. This is issues 1 through 13. What a weird number of issues of, of the Ultimates. And I am joined by... A very good friend, friend of the pod, good brother all around, co-host of the Comics Collective podcast, the man, the myth, the legend himself. It's Dallas. Dallas, welcome back, man. Eric, this A doesn't stand for France. It actually Do you hear me? It's for Eric. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. So true. <laughs> How you doing, man? I am good. I feel a little dirty after reading this you know there's like a a nice thick layer of grime on me i've been sprayed with raid i've been kicked in the face i have turned myself into a raging monster because my fiance that i'm on a break with is on a date but i've lived to tell the tale and you know what it's Freddie Prince Jr. So I understand the the hesitation. I understand the frustration. But I yeah, mean, man. what a book, Eric. What a book. It's it's so funny because I I knew that this was going to be the spotlight for Ultimate June Invasion. And I remember making the announcement and Dallas was like, where's my invite? And I'm like, well, 
buddy, have I got a comic book for you to read? You said, boy, do I have a monkey's paw for you. (laughs) And as one of the toes curled, I got Dallas here to talk about the Ultimates. And this is going to be interesting, right? Because we have the gift of hindsight 11 (laughs) years later about not just this universe, but really the cultural impact of this book. Because it's wild what this book both accomplishes and also completely ruins about these characters and this world. And I mean, I'm so excited to talk about this as the seed of Avengers 2012, right? Yeah, exactly. I was consistently struck by how much Avengers is a sanitized remake of this comic book. Yep. It's kind of wild. And if you look at it beat by beat, I think people would be shocked. And it's funny, there's, you know, there's also an animated film that may or may not be covered this month, you don't know. But seeing this and rereading this, it's been years since I've picked this comic up. Like, I I have the original trades, shiny and... 13 I I can't get over the 13 issues thing. Like of all the numbers, you're we're typically used to six issues, eight issues if you're if you're Bill Casevelli and Tom King and you're nasty. Like or 12 issues for a maxi series, but 13 Listen, is odd. It's actually to make up for the issue that was lost in every single Marvel trade in the year 2023. <laughs> the drop from 6 to 5 <laughs> is because of the ultimates. It's truly what it is. It, 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 again, it's that monkey's paw. It's the it's the gin giving you your wish, but also at a cost. I just think we needed more Air Force promo shots, so we needed a 13th issue. Okay, so we're going to talk about this in a second, but you say that, and it's hilarious, because I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I am a military brat, specifically of the Air Force, and I distinctly remember reading this for the first time as a ute in the early to mid 2000s and absolutely going bananas for it like i thought this was the coolest book that you could possibly make and it's interesting going back and rereading it especially with how things have changed and how some things have stayed the same since then it's a fascinating little time in a bottle kind of comic I know it predates it, but reading this felt a lot like looking back on President Obama's America, where at the time you were caught up in the vibes and in the hindsight, you only see the war crimes. <laughs> it is it is interesting that the uh, the early to mid 2000s alongside the late 2000s and early 2010s are just vibes. <laughs> we all were just it's Friday. It's Friday. Got to get down. It's Friday. And in hindsight, it wasn't, dear listener. First comes Thursday and Saturday comes afterwards. We were party rocking in this house tonight (laughs) as the Ultimates made the Hulk defeat an alien invasion by saying the aliens told them he was gay. This is the (laughs) craziest comic you've ever read in your life. And I'll tell you what, when I was a young boy, my father took me into the city (laughs) to see a marching band. And that marching band was the uh, USO Captain America Corps. 
And uh, a man in eye patch told me one day, you will have to defend the broken and the damned. And the Chitari looked me in the eyes and said, they don't want to be an American idiot. <laughs> One nation controlled by the media. This comic went out to idiot America. <laughs> and it walked a proverbial boulevard of broken dreams and got us here to make sure that, to make damn sure that we left nothing on the table and that at the end of the day, uh, what I've done. And because, because frankly, Eric, we're in too deep and I'm trying to keep up above, but Hulk just keeps pulling me under. Where are you? <laughs> and I was... Why was Hank Pym listening to that song? <laughs> Where are you? She's under the armoire, you monster. And I'm so sorry. I no, can't you're not. Sleep. You're a monster. You can't do. You keep doing this. I grew out my goatee. <laughs> yeah, this, this is such a. It, it's really interesting because a lot of the stuff we can make fun of. Obviously, it was a comic so of its time that, in a lot of ways, it's kind. I mean, the cringe is there. Let's just get that out of the way. The cringe is there. That happens. But as you alluded to on Twitter. This comic also kind of drives in some places. <laughs> you feel so bad for how much you're like, hell yeah. It's like, yeah, that was pretty cool. Hell yeah. That, yeah. that hit a little bit. Captain America drops a tank on the Hulk and it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that goes hard. That goes real hard. I think the greatest encapsulation for me is when Captain America goes and White Knight defeats <laughs> the shit out of Hank Pym. And you're like, this is this is a fraught storyline. Why it's is not this 1945? You can't just John Wayne your way in here. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's doing that currently. He's doing exactly that. <laughs> oh, but he's like, is this big enough for you? I was yeah. like, this also, is crazy. His go-to insult, Hank Pym's, is, is calling people morons. Like that was like the worst thing you could be called in the early 2000s is a moron. And it's very clear that he's like. <laughs> he's like for for scientists this is my science slur this is i'm calling you a moron and that's I, supposed to be the most offensive thing that he says i was frankly shocked that there was only one slur in this book you know what with who's writing it yeah i was a little surprised I, like, myself and i you said this at the top but this this is from mark millar who is mark is millar. like the fart rock stepdad of every Grant Morrison fan. <laughs> that like you were convinced that he was cool for three seconds while he was dating your mom, Grant Morrison. Yeah. And then in hindsight, you're like, what a idiot. It's so funny because like I had I had an uncle that reminds me exactly of what you're talking about. It, it was it was my uncle Brian, and I thought he was the coolest guy when I was a little kid because he played video games like me, and he was a slacker like me, and I really enjoyed that. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, but he was a full grown adult, yeah, and he was mm -hmm. not a good person. And it's like it's strange when you kind of hit that, like, oh, I've crossed the barrier, and I no longer view you with rose colored glasses. And what's crazy is that it's at the exact age of seventeen years old. Yeah! 
you aren't even a full grown adult yet. Because I had one of these too, where you're like, <laughs> you don't understand, mom. Brett gets me, and his name's always Brett. <laughs> his name's and, always. It's always a B. It's always a B name. Brad, Brett, Bodie, but Chad, but Chad. <laughs> you're like, he's cool. He has. Sports Illustrated pages up in his shed. And then you turn 17 and you're like, why are you out in your shed jerking off to your walls, man? This is, you pay taxes. You're like 37 years old and all these athletes are like maybe early 20s. This what is, are you doing, my guy? This is really weird. I don't care about your Toyota Camry. I don't, I don't want to see the engine. Leave me I was alone. Like, I was like, be real careful. All like the Asian, the Asian American contingency, myself included. If he if he says Toyota Corolla right now, I swear I'm coming to New York. I was gonna say Tacoma, <laughs> and then I was like, the Tacoma <laughs> contingency is very strong. Yeah, I'm kick my a, ass. The Tacoma contingency will find you. But this comic is, and I keep saying it's fascinating, but it really is. Like on a surface level, you look at this and it's like, yes, it's very clearly copaganda propaganda in a post 9-11 world and the avengers who have been this superhero team getting turned into essentially super cops by the u.s government it's uncomfy in a lot of lot of ways but again like it's also fascinating to look at from a historical perspective right because this is 2002 when this comic comes out we are in an immediate post 9-11 world and post 9-11 if you were not alive in the early 2000s post 9-11 it was a very different vibe to literally everything before and after i don't think honestly i think that is the generation gap between gen z and millennial i am yes. technically the oldest year of gen z and yet Good lord I, right. <laughs> I, in talking to people literally like two years younger than me, yeah, that I was just like, oh, you don't remember 2003. Like, I realize I was a little kid, but like, I remember 2003. I yeah. remember up until 2007. Like, I remember Bush's America. Yeah. And I remember the. Like, in hindsight, very sad, just across the board unity of, like, we are very patriotic. We are very pro-military. We are very pro-American intervention. We have to come together because we are scared and hate everyone else around us. And... You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And... So you'll, I'll be talking with someone who's like just barely younger than me. And they're like, they just don't see it at all. They can't see it with any sympathy. And I'm not trying to excuse what happened. It's clearly wrong. But I was like, when you were alive in that moment, you do like, it was just the norm. And there is a hindsight that you're like, what the hell that I, the ultimates capture so well where you read it and you're like, this is exactly how it felt. And how I felt at different times reading this in my life is my growth past being in my formative years during that decade. 100%. I think, I think that's an, that is a perfect way to describe this is that at different stages of your life, you will view this comic in a very different light. And I think that's, and I don't want to make this sound like it's like highbrowing the ultimates, but 
in a way that's kind of the magic of this book is that as you grow older, as your perspective changes, as your knowledge base changes, you start to view things about this comic very differently. And at the beginning, I mean, again, when I was a young boy and I was like super into this, you know, idealized Americana of the early 2000s, like this is this was the greatest superhero story I'd ever heard of. And it's weird looking back on it now, you know, over 20 years later, and it's like, what are we, what are the things we valued in this point of time? It was patriotism leaning close to nationalism, um, industrial advancement, and xenophobia. Like, those were kind of the building blocks of everything that we valued at that point in time. And it's kind of scary to think about. I think as well, there is a, the specific male gaze of this book is very interesting in that it evokes a time where the worst thing on earth you could be was gay as a man, right? Like, I remember growing up and like having people be like, call me that and feeling like so scared. Mm -hmm. And so like, that was like a threat to me, made me feel small. And then that same, that doesn't exist in the same way. I'm not trying to say like we've erased homophobia, but like it just, it does not exist in that same way now where I'll be talking with coworkers and we're talking about like, Oh, are you going to go to pride? And that just didn't exist at the time of the ultimates, you know? And the fact that we have done that in 20 years is really interesting. And again, makes us a fascinating time capsule where this book, that is the undercurrent of so much of what is happening is like these superheroes demonstrating how they are the ideal 2003 toxically masculine alpha male. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating yeah and it's and and you're absolutely right like i can't picture 20 years ago just being at work and being like oh yeah did you catch the latest like drag race episode like and i like it's crazy to think about like stuff that i talk about on the regular like would not be anywhere near commonplace around the time that this comic came out and there is a lot of that homophobia xenophobia in you know laced in this book and in a way i think it makes it really easy to kind of write this off and be like you don't ever need to read this book because it's got all of these themes kind of surrounding it and inside of it but in that way i think it's it's like you said it's fascinating to look at as a piece of time and think about like how far we have come both as a society and also how we write comic books yeah And I mean, to be honest as well, I would argue, though we don't hold them in the same esteem, the authority and the ultimates give birth to the modern comic era. Yeah. I know we still mark 1986 as the birth of the modern era, death of the Bronze Age, birth of the modern era. But we're we're compacting years here because there is a tangible shift from the comics of 
before the authority and the ultimates before Brian Hitch, frankly, and after Brian Hitch and just the, the viewing of a comic book as a parallel to not a soap opera, but to a cinematic action movie. Right. We go from things like Chris Claremont's long drawn out serialized sitcom style um, melodrama to there are so many sections of the ultimates where Brian Hitch is just putting a spectacle on the page. Yeah. He is putting a singular, this could be in IMAX in a movie theater and I would feel it. And we can see that in this being translated pretty one for one visually into Avengers. There are pages of this comic book that you're like, Oh, that is just a shot from the Avengers. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, right down to certain characters' designs or the way that they look in their, you know, in and out of their superhero costumes. There's a whole conversation about who's going to play them in the movie. And in one of the most blatant, like, flying in the face of copyright I've ever seen in a comic book, you know, they made Nick Fury not, you know, anywhere similar to the David Hasselhoff of old. And turned him into Samuel L. Jackson without, I should note, his consent. And it's crazy to think about that they were like, not only are we going to model him, his likeness off of Samuel L. Jackson, the famous actor, we're going to have him talk about how he looks just like Samuel L. Jackson. And we're not going to include Jackson in any of these conversations. It's a perfect comic, really. In that way, yeah. This comic book is truly the experience of listening to Rockstar by Nickelback, where you're like, am I liking this? Everything inside me is telling me I shouldn't, but am I liking this? Am I tapping my foot to the? No, I don't like this. I think I might be liking this. Stop (laughs) liking this. I'm only liking it because Eric made me listen to it. That, that, that's usually how it works when I invite people onto the show. It's like, I don't really like talking about this, but I'm going to force them to talk about this. <laughs> I'm going to chain them in the Geek Explained basement until they like what I'm talking about. This was your retaliation for American-born Chinese. So like, this book's about you, Dallas. Like, yeah, tough guy. Let's talk about the Asian-American experience. Let's talk about the early 2000s about... American experience. Let's talk about you, white boy. <laughs> Where were you at in a red state in 2002? <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. Sorry. Ooh. <laughs> Listen, I am. I would like to apologize for things that happened when I was five. God, I in 2002, I was 10 years old. Like, it's it's nuts. But getting into the comic itself, um, it's basically kind of split up into two sections essentially the Hulk section and the Avengers 2012 section. (laughs) And it's kind of wild to think about this. The first, you know, six issues are really about setting up everybody and giving them their new hit modernized origins. Um, This honestly, I have this first issue, every single panel ingrained into my memory. It's crazy. I've I've talked about this before, but I got this preview up until the uh 
what was this? One, two, three, four, five. I have the first six pages ingrained in my memory because it was my introduction to the ultimate universe through this floppy uh, swap meets bought copy of Wizard Magazine that came out touting the ultimates and this preview. And I remember looking at this and being like, this is Captain America. Like for so long, this was my view of the character. And it does a great job in giving you tonally what the book is going to feel like, right? Brian Hitch at this point, 2002, was the cutting edge dude. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you had an idea that seemed to kind of balk at the norms in the comics industry, Brian Hitch was the person who could bring that to life in spades. And this opening is, you know, every bit saving Private Ryan as it is you know, the super friends and having this whole thing just be about, you know, Cap's final mission going into, what was it? Iceland? Yes. Yeah. Iceland to take out this base that was getting ready to launch a nuke at Washington, D.C. Like, this is the stuff that this was, I think you mentioned it and used it so appropriately, an IMAX opening for a comic book. Yeah. And I think also this is the end result of what comic books like Watchmen began, where they wanted to... Grant Morrison talks about Watchmen's desire to bring superheroes into our world and watch them flounder. Yeah. Grant then counters and says, I would rather pull you into their world and show you what we can become. Two trains of thoughts here. And the Ultimates is the end result of that train of thought that Alan Moore began, where you want the Ultimates born into a world where George Bush is their president in 2002. Yeah, They are treated like the celebrities of 2002. Everything that's going on in this comic that is not immediately comic booky, which the very comic booky things are laughed at consistently. The idea that Thor is a Norse god or that there are shape changing aliens is scoffed at and seen as crazy. And you get in these opening pages with Captain America, like like you said, this is very Private Ryan. This, were it not for the Star Spangled outfit you would not know that this is a superhero comic book. You would think yep. this was a Garth Ennis, Ennis World War II comic book. Yeah, and the I think if you took this, this opening segment, all the way up to Cap being thrown into the Arctic and said, this is what the universe is going to look like going forward, I think it would come with a lot of optimism. Because it's like we're get we're getting gritty, realistic storytelling, but you still have that, as you you mentioned, that panache of superhero silliness. There's a, a rocket that's going to send a nuke to Washington D.C., and we have it's pulp heroes dressed in the flag. I also unabashedly love this look for Cap. I have always loved this look. It's, you like the face mask? I love the face. It's oh, so dumb. But I really, I love it, man. 
just the stars like turning the fatigues into the, palette swapping them for his original costume the big helmet with the aviator cap that makes him look like a little bit a batman a little bit of uh, dr midnight like it, again it makes him look like a pulp hero and i w- i don't think i i would be ashamed to say I would buy a 12 issue maxi series of just him being pulp hero, Captain America dressed as this fighting shape changing Nazis and punching them. Who do you want writing it? If it's coming out right now, Oh, Tom King, Tom King, pulp era, Captain America, like throw a Mitch Jared's on there, throw a, Ooh, throw a Jorge Fornes on there. And I think that could be magic. That would be pretty cool. I, Here's my hot take. Mitch okay. Garrett's is the Brian Hitch of this moment. 100%. Of just lifelike verisimilitude mm-hmm. with a dark edge that makes your comic book feel more serious. Yeah. That is, that is an excellent point. I think, I'm, I'm sure you saw this too on Twitter. Somebody was talking about the Ultimates and they were like, at the at that point, like Brian Hitch was like the new kid who was changing the way that we look at comic books. And what are the artists that are doing that now? And for whatever reason, Mitch Jarrett's didn't even come to mind to me, but that's absolutely correct. Like, and, I, and I've talked about this before. I would love to see, you know, King and Jared's do what their take on a JSA, like a wartime epic. But I think that would be perfect for a wartime cap. I actually, here's my, another little spicy take here. I think if Brian Hitch is spearheading IMAX quality realism, yeah, because Alex Ross has like a Norman Rockwell realism to it. Right. But that's different than what Hitch is doing. Yeah. And then everybody's trying to do what Hitch does. I think Mitch Garretts is the modern of Hitch style. Yeah. But I think the current new kids on the block that are going to influence comic book art are Jorge Jimenez and Daniel Warren Johnson. Yes. Channeling manga and anime. Yeah. Like, frankly, they are bringing where Hitch brought in the influence of the camera from cinema. They are bringing in the animation and kinetic movement of anime and manga to the Western comic book scene. And Jimenez is also, I mean, there are some, and you've covered it on comics collective, you know, the justice league comic that he illustrated is IMAX as IMAX can get in some parts. Like I vividly can see the Clark throwing, getting ready for the punch. And he's got his son and his dad behind him. But that's also that. so anime. It's so anime. Like, and and you're right. Like, I think the, I, what what is the word? The, the, uh, per, yeah, the 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 permeation of anime in our modern comics. First of all, as a young Asian American boy <laughs> who never thought anime would be looked at with any kind of respect when I was a child, loves to see. And then, like you said, Daniel Warren Johnson was immediately the name that came to mind because he is doing stuff that nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And not just because he's suplexing and, germ- and clotheslining and powerbombing everybody in sight, as they should. Get ready for that Transformers oh. book to have a whole lot of powerbombs. Uh, I, I just, I think they are absolutely crushing it. But we also, in these first six issues, get introduced to the rest of the 
the not Avengers cast, right? We get this Tony Stark who is, I mean, this is exactly who the Robert Downey Jr. version of Tony Stark was based on. Mm -hmm. Like, very clearly. He's got a he's got a drinking problem. He's constantly trying to get in everybody's pants. Like he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. But I kind of really like the change to his origin. Instead of the heart of iron with the shrapnel, he's got a brain tumor, and he doesn't know how long he's going to live. So he's dedicated himself to trying to better the world. He's still a sloppy drunk and kind of a a. A sketchy guy but like he's he's got a good heart behind him based on this inoperable thing and later on we would come to see that the the, the tumor gets a little complicated when it grows its own intelligence but like in the scope and context of this story it's a fascinating look at you know quote-unquote modernizing tony's origin i agree i think what is so funny is ultimate iron man feels the least unique because he became so ubiquitous that he exists in the 616 yeah you know all the the rest of these characters you look at them and you say oh this is the ultimate version they have done an interesting subversion of the character and then you look at iron man and you're like this is just iron man <laughs> no it wasn't that one was just the most successful they yeah. just said, oh, this is just Iron Man now. I kind of think that in, in, a, in a lot of ways, that's how people look at Ultimate Spider-Man now. It's like, oh, he's got to be in high school. He's got to be dealing with, you know, relationship problems. He can never grow up. Like those, because they were incredibly popular in the early 2000s, have kind of become the default for guess, everybody. Guess who was the assistant editor on Ultimate Spider-Man? Stop. Nicklo. No, I do remember this because we covered this in the book club. And I remember there's that story that is bad and you should feel bad if you like it. That was like pitched Glennis by is like this little idiot made me write this. It's yeah, so he funny. did a whole dedicated a whole comic page to him beating up Nicklo for it. But this this comic does I think give us versions of a character that we haven't seen yet. Janet Van Dyne. We had never seen I mean first off an Asian Janet Van Dyne, which I think is tremendous. And I'm kind of sad that they didn't follow up on that in any other iterations of the character. She rules. This is a fun Janet Van Dyne. This is a fun Janet Van and, and again, a very clearly early 2000s Janet mm-hmm. Van Dyne. From yep. the fashion to the vernacular to even the hairstyle. Eric, she's not like other girls. <laughs> He's he's striking at my heart because he knows that the Manic Pixie Dream Girl was the only thing that, as a young adolescent, I dreamed of growing up. And the fact that Janet Van Dyne in this comic is a literal Manic Pixie Dream Girl because of her wasp abilities is unfortunate, I think. I love that my stupid ass, and this time through, when Hank was like, I saw how you were looking at Captain America. I was like, I didn't. I didn't no, see whatever you're seeing. Not clear at all. I, I literally, I did not see that. And be like, ooh, that's going to be a problem. This feel, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe it's like he's an abusive asshole that like reads into situations. Yeah, I was like, I. Pff, this truly is coming out of left field for me, Hank. 
<laughs> because and he's an he is an interesting character in that he sucks like mm-hmm. just full stop there's very little redeeming quality about him he's a genius but he uses that genius to belittle others and to compete with people and make them feel small i think something that some real praise i have for the ultimates is the heroes that take villain turns are assholes in a way that uh, nerd media doesn't usually portray. They're not Biff Tannen. They're not meatheads that are going to beat you up. They are people who are insecure and feel small, hate themselves and hate their female partners and take out their insecurities on the world, which I think, frankly, is a decently prophetic take on what toxic masculinity would become in 20 years from... Miller, you look, I don't know a lot of Biff Tannins in my life anymore. I think they're a dying breed, but I know a lot of Hank Pym's and Bruce Banner's from this comic book where it's like, yeah, you look like a normal sort of like sniveling weenie guy, but you have a mean streak. You put people down. You, you are a mean, mean person. And at least in in the case of Hank, he revels in it. He loves putting people down. He loves feeling like he's bigger than others. That's why he loves being Giant Man. Because he's able to physically and literally look down on people. And when other people make him feel small is when he lashes out. And a lot of that also comes from, like you mentioned, his own insecurity. And him reading into stuff that more often, nine times out of ten, is not there except for him. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Bruce, Bruce is interesting because I don't know if you got this, but the last couple times I've read this, I get like Bizarro World uh, Milo Thatch from his, you know, his interactions with people. I mean, just right down to his physical appearance, like it's very Thatchian. If I can, if that is <laughs> that is a term that I'm coining, but. It's fascinating looking at him and also his relationship with Betty Ross, who I don't like. She's mean. She's very mean. She's mean no and reason. toxic. Like Bruce is not justified in what he does. No. And he's he's nasty as well. But she is mean and toxic. Yes. There there is there is no, you know, right side of history that either of them are on when it comes to what they do at this point. The worst people you know are ruining each other's lives. it's one of those toxic everyone's seen this before a toxic relationship that you kind of want to let them know hey maybe you should just break up but you also kind of look at as yeah maybe you kind of deserve each other because of how horrible you are to literally everyone else Mm -hmm. it's it's tough but like you 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 want to root for either of them at very separate points but then at both of those points you get Oh yeah, you're awful too. Like this is kind of when she at the very end of this comic looks and says, "You know, I've I saw that footage of you eating a man as the Hulk. Do you think we could set up conjugal visits?" I'm like, "You're the worst. Mm-hmm. This is awful, and you should feel bad." And I think the prevailing kind of filter that you can put over this entire comic is cynicism. Yeah. 
you talked about like this being really that kickstart of like the modern age of comics. And if there is a word that I can apply to the modern age of comics in most cases, not all cases, of course, but in most cases, it's cynicism. This is a very cynical world. And obviously that comes along with that post 9-11 world, that post 9-11, you have to look over your shoulder, look to your left, look to your right. One of your neighbors is a scroll type world that we look at. But this comic has it in spades. Well, I think the conversation of both Bruce Banner and Hank Pym wanting to feel big is yes. very much a a clever commentary on what America was doing at the time. 9-11 made America feel scared and small for the first time since 1945. Yeah. The dream of American exceptionalism broke and then was replaced by an over-the-top facsimile of itself to pretend like that hurt wasn't there. And so to see that at the core of two, who I would argue are the villains of the first act, to see that as what is going on for them is a really interesting, scalding review of America in 2002 that we don't talk enough about. That so much of how, of that nationalism, so much of that, we're going to pour our money, our resources, our energy into a military because the last time we felt big was coming off of the tale of World War II is built off of feeling scared and small. You know, I think sometimes we're like, oh, it was it was a war for oil. And I was like, it was. But it was also a war to feel big again. Yeah, it, it was trying to reclaim our, you know, our power dynamic. Mm-hmm. of how we felt like we were the greatest country in the world and we were untouchable and we lived on our ivor- in our ivory houses on top of the hill. And the breaking of that, that perception caused a vicious lashing out that I don't know as, you know, as a country on the, you know, global sociopolitical stage, we're ever going to be able to walk back or come back from. No. And the cynicism has shifted, but not gone away. Right. The cynicism was about everyone else and it has become about us. Yeah. It is. There is no good post 9-11 in America. It's been 10 years of there's no good anywhere other than us. And now it is we're five years into there's no good inside of us. And ultimately, it is the same instinct, and it's the instinct of the Ultimates. I think as well, Captain America being brought into this team yes, with that critique of America and American exceptionalism being born out of World War II is another genius stroke of the Ultimates. And that's what's so hard about the Ultimates is sometimes it's the smartest book you're reading. And then also, it's fart rock. It's and the you're dumbest like, book you're this reading. is the dumbest book I'm reading. Like, Mark Millar is like, there's layers to it. And you're like, one of the layers is shit, Mark. <laughs> Mark's like, I am going to write a comic that shows the duality of man and is going to be so toxic while at the same time giving you moments like when Steve goes to meet Bucky. Like, this book has, the, like, the scene that he goes to meet Bucky after seeing him and in this in the ultimate universe if you're unaware listener bucky never became winter soldier 
He was never like this super soldier character. He he was essentially Jimmy Olsen in the Ultimate Universe. He was a f- wartime photographer and he grew old. And when Steve goes to meet him, he's an old man who's got kids and grandkids and also married Steve's fiance. And that's a complicated situation. Hell also, yeah, a quick thing that I never caught before reading this for this round. His fiance's name was Gail. I always knew that. But her full name is Gail Richards. And that, in the Marvel Universe, opens up a lot of different things that I don't think they ever address. Hmm. But this scene is incredibly heartfelt in a lot of ways. Like, it's these two friends. Steve has lost literally everyone he knows, and the person who's still alive is, you know, was his best friend alongside his fiance, his one true love, who has now moved on. And it's like that, not necessarily closing the book, but him getting the kind of closure of, okay, I am free to step into this next phase of my life, is a really interesting take on that character, who does get a certain measure of closure before we obviously go into like the big Shatari threat in part two. But... That's also juxtaposed with, you know, George Bush walking out and being like, so what do you think about about the 21st century? Is it cool or uncool? And you see Cap in a costume that I have unabashedly kind of always loved going. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Bow now, bow now. Some folks are born made. When you posted that on Twitter, I was like, Dallas has a direct link into my mind and I need him to shut that off. Mm -hmm. Because that is a song that encapsulates maybe this entire book. (laughs) Yep. It's like, that is like the leitmotif of this entire book. And Cap as a character in this is so fascinating because on one hand, in certain scenes, he's exactly the 616 Cap. Like, in certain scenes, he is the guy you know. He is the Chris Evans archetype. And then in other scenes, he's kind of the worst toxic masculinity guy you can find in a story. Mm-hmm. Listen, this has all of the social commentary and wary eye towards American imperialism of Fortunate Son and also the this is the theme song of every Vietnam movie you've ever seen and has lost that criticism of Fortunate Son. There are two wolves inside of you. There are two wolves (laughs) inside of the ultimate. sons. But yeah, the the end of this, you know, Oh, and and we haven't even mentioned, I think, one of the most fascinating relationships. It's Thor. Like, what an interesting take on this character, Mm -hmm. right? This character who was a a nurse up until he turned 30, which gave me pause. And I'm like, I am the same age that Thor was when he figured out he was a god. What am I doing with my life, Dallas? Also Also when Jesus found out he was a god, if you're Christian. I mean... I think that is also the parallel is a homeless guy at 30 finding out he's the son of God. I mean, that that's Jesus. And he's looking plenty Jesus here in this book. Let me tell you, but him basically being like, I am now more or less 
an eco-terrorist and I am someone who is protesting, you know, all of the normal things that you would see from like activists and being very uh, cognizant and present and loud about the things that are threatening our world that at this point in the early 21st century were looked at as the ravings of lunatics. And now today are given a much bigger platform due to the fact that, hey, there's science behind this. Hey, listen here. No, there ain't. Okay? <laughs> listen You're right, here. Mr. President. You're right. No, there ain't. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do think, though, fascinating that the Thor character, the eco-terrorist Thor, vehemently will not get into bed with the U.S. military, with the hero of World War II does like the tech billionaire. Again, it is like, interesting, isn't it? I've seen that before. That, my friends, is called the state of California. We love them. Whoa, hey, we whoa, hey. Great. Wait a second. But hey. Wait a second. Here we are. I'm going to go to ayahuasca. Mark Zuckerberg might be there, too. I don't know. We're going to see. Wait a second. Wait a second. I live in California. <laughs> This, this this is you you were you were just like Doug taking pot shots at the West Coast any chance you get. Listen, I'm from the West Coast. <laughs> so the the end of this part one, you know, climaxes in the big Hulk fight in the middle of New York. And it is cinematic as hell. You it's, mess with one of us. You, you mess, mess with, with all, all of us. It's and again, there are so many cool moments in this. See Thor's appearance coming oh. down for the first time when everyone's like, "Wait a second, is it raining?" And he just strikes down, and you hear that's from the White House general. The president just doubled our international aid budget because that was the one thing that was barring him from from participating in the ultimates and it's like again it's so cinematic and so quick and and feels like a big blockbuster from the early to mid 2000s but then you get the whole you know gross thing about the hulk in the ultimate hulk is he's just very gross all the time and it's mm-hmm. super uncomfortable mm-hmm. wouldn't it be crazy if in an avengers movie the midway turn was a fight between the hulk and thor that ended with the hulk being bruce banner locked away in a big glass cage like hannibal lecter for the rest of the movie that would be really interesting and they'd never do it but no no it'd be interesting to see if they if they tried it one day i don't think that they would use the hulk as the driving tension of the first half of an avengers movie culminating it wouldn't make any sense no it it wouldn't and then you wouldn't shift into the Chitari as bad guys. I mean, that's not even a major alien race for the, why, why fight. would you, why would you use them? They're virtually unknown. They're unproven. I mean, you, you'd probably have to bring in like a lead character. Who's got vaguely imperialistic and white nationalist themes to kind of lead them. But I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it Call me crazy. I don't think they would ever do that. Certainly not in an Avengers movie. I would also, I mean, it'd be kind of cool, but also a little like on the nose to tie all of it back to Cap's origin that we had gotten before. It would be wild. It would be wild. And including, you know, Cap 
disagreeing with the members of his team on a fundamental level leading to some really you know quippy one-liners i I also just like the nazis using experimental tech that rears its head again just in time for the avengers that ultimately has origins with alien tech yes and, and supernatural alien uh origin it, it, I, I just don't think it would work it wouldn't make sense no one would no one would pay attention to it and I, I don't think anybody would be able to follow it it certainly wouldn't make near to a billion dollars i mean and it would be strange if your finalized team was the hulk captain america thor black widow and hawkeye yeah and iron man and iron theoretically man. theoretically obviously yeah like seems like kind of an odd team to like shift ant-man and the wasp away even though they are founding avengers yeah right? like don't let them be a part of that big final climax but i feel like again theoretically if you shifted in you know hawkeye and black widow i mean you're subbing in white white people for white people so i'm i, I don't th- see a lot of people like making the distinction all right that is true we still have six white people on the cast so we're still we're still hollywood positive we're still yeah. Hollywood positive. Um, and we're we're involving the spy genre, which is really popular with like Born true. Ultimatum and those movies. Do you think we could get away with that much US military imagery though? With like helicarriers and Harriet jets? I think as long as you made sure that it came down to the rich billionaire playboy philanthropist saving the day from the u.s government's follies i think you could get away with it okay theoretically hear me out hear me out this is kind of crazy but what if we seeded quicksilver and the scarlet witch at the end as the tie towards the second avengers movie see that would be interesting but i don't we don't really have like a basis for them as characters so i feel like if you didn't because you don't really see them a whole lot in this book so you would have to just drop them into the second avengers movie without any kind of explanation of what their deal is besides quippy one-liners about how he's fast and she's weird seems like enough yeah you're right modern audiences are embarrassed that these came from comic books so we're gonna have to leather it up Make it feel like a born movie. Hundred percent. Dull the colors, like have them there as homage, but like throw everything through a hundred wash cycles, and make you know? sure anything that does show up as an homage, we make fun of immediately. Yes, except Iron Man is allowed to have a very fancy suit. Yes, one hundred percent. Make it kind of mecha, you know, instead yeah, yeah, of yeah, like yeah. just close fitting armor. Yeah, like, I like why that would idea you pull a lot. from the Ultimates for an Avengers movie? That's... No, it doesn't make any sense. No. So yeah, the second part of this story is, uh, you know, it, it it kicks off with this really. I mean, I don't think we have enough time to get into all the reasons that the Jan and Hank scene is horrifying. Or the conversation with Betty afterwards about how, yeah, I've known about this this whole time and just didn't talk to anybody about it because I figured if I ignored it, it would just go away and stop happening. Crazy. It's real bad. It's Crazy. real bad. Like, And it's it's one of those situations where it's real and uncomfortable. 
because you know stuff like this happens. And the way that everyone kind of reacts to it is unfortunate as well. Like we mentioned before, like Cap going gung-ho, solo gunslinger is, I mean, get them both arrested. But like in that same way, again, the duality, there are two wolves and both of them are fortunate sons. Like it's also kind of kick-ass because you want him to beat the crap out of Hank Pym because he's a scumbag. And getting into the, you know, the second half being, you know, this story about the Ultimates versus the Shatari, I actually think the idea of a Black Ops Avengers squad that is kind of set separate, like an X-Force for the Avengers, is a really fascinating idea. And you, the people to have on there being kind of a, a twist on the old school kooky quartet of... Uh, instead of Cap, we have Black Widow, but then we have Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, is a really cool nod to my mm-hmm. favorite era of Avengers. And also, like, taking the characters who are the most, like, morally gray out of everyone and saying, like, yeah, these are the ones that, you know, can't, you know, the public Avengers can't be seen interacting with. And the whole process of, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be upgrading, you know, black widow and hawkeye into public characters like it speaks to the commercialization of the superhero genre just as much as the militarization of the superhero genre well i think it's fascinating that one of this book's major twists on the superhero genre is to make these hollywood celebrities and the fact that the MCU has done exactly that. Robert Downey Jr. will be Iron Man in forever. people's head forever. Chris Evans, yeah. while he's great in Knives Out, will ultimately be Captain America forever. Again, the eye of Apollo was upon Mark Miller <laughs> as he drafted out Hollywood for the next 15 years when he wrote this book. Yeah. And... When you look at a lot, again, like it feels odd how much that movie pulled from this right down to the interpersonal strife, the, you know, use of the helicarriers. I mean, right down to some of the designs. Like, I mean, I'm I'm just going to say it. I feel like if you had just given Cap the mask that he had from this on his, you know, Avengers 2012 costume, people would like that costume a heck of a lot more. Maybe just for me but the the comic again pulling back on the ideas of these characters what one of the bits i do i do enjoy is the quicksilver just being there and being like actually i think if you slow down the tape Fantastic. you'll see i helped everybody wonderful bit every once in a while mark miller hits he does it's like a one out of five deal, but like those one times, it's great. Did you ever read Jupiter's Legacy? I could not get through that book. I'm going to let Ooh. you know that now. I think I'm just brainwashed by Frank Quitely, but <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. If you got to be brainwashed by anybody, Frank Quitely is a hell of a person to do it. I am sad that Mark Millar won that custody battle because yeah. he has kick ass money. He does. 
and Frank quietly, unfortunately, does not. Even though, well, he, he does should. take four years to draw a page. So, hey, you know what? When they Mark look that good, him. Mark pays take, him to do it. So, <laughs> you take all the time you need to draw that page. Okay, just every line you take, <laughs> every check you break. Mark Millar's just like slowly making it rain on Frank quietly as he's like, I want you to draw this guy shitting his pants because a psychic made him do it. And, and he's got like, the big easel and he's like, just keep sure. dropping those dollar dollars. Sure please. Thing. If you write a stupid comic book, I will draw it because you can pay. And Grant's <laughs> like, what if we changed the medium? And Frank's like, DC pays us $7 a page, Grant. And Grant's <laughs> like, but Superman, I can't keep doing this, Grant. <laughs> But what if the best Superman? And he's like, okay, you know what? I'll give you 12 issues. But then I got to cut. I got to cut out. I got to get back. Mark Miller's making a monkey flip a truck. It seems kind of silly, but it's paying me so much money. He's paying me so much money. Um, But like you said, like there are moments where this book really hits. Like after the Ultimates are presumed dead after that giant explosion of an island. And then you get this like, oh, things are off the charts. And we've got the return of Kleiser, who's like, ah, I was the big bad all along. Yippee. And also in certain panels is drawn suspiciously like Tom Hiddleston, even though this was clearly 10 years before. Um, And they're like, oh, there's a lightning strike. Was anybody, were any of the Ultimates like able to use a force field? And to Miller's credit, seeding that whole force field thing in on the Iron Man armor was clutch because then you remember oh yeah just in time for this incredibly uh militaristic double page spread of them just showing up may do it flag oh they're red blue blue. my personal favorite is the page that is just jet planes there (laughs) there are no superheroes a two-page spread of just jets because they're like oh wait for the air force they're like what air force and then the air force comes in and, and then the this is paid for by the U.S. Air Force. Straight up. And it's it's fascinating, right? Because, again, I, I'm a military brat, specifically of the Air Force. And I was raised on this kind of sensationalism for the U.S. military. And I think a lot of kids in my, you know, that tail end of the millennial age range were. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like we were hitting 10, 11, 12 years old right during this period where it was like, The coolest thing you could aspire to be is a member of the U.S. military. I distinctly remember dozens of career days where the coolest people who showed up were always the people from the Army, Navy, or Air Force, or Marine recruitment office who did, like, pull-up challenges and brought snacks. And, like, again, it was the exceptionalism that was seeded into our society at that point that really you know made me look at this and i'm like the coolest thing you could be is a superhero the second coolest thing you could be is the air force that backs up the superheroes and it's fascinating looking at you know in retrospect looking at where the second ultimates story goes where it goes into you know the imperialism of the you know early two thousand early pretty much all the two thousands U.S. and everything that kind of is wrought because of that. 
like it's it's crazy to look at now and think that i mean we talked about earlier the line you think this a stands for france like obviously not because the french are sissy boys and the americans are red-blooded country-fed boys who are there to protect the world from the evils of aliens everywhere and it's like again it's it's a hard thing to kind of balance when it comes to this story and it really does make it feel like it's a story it it's a story of two parts truly mm-hmm. i mean just to to reiterate your point even as someone who wasn't a military brat I, I grew up right next to an air force base and one of the highlights of the year every year was going to the air show where the blue angels did flips and their yep. planes and we all knew i mean by the time of late high school we all kind of like teased but we all knew the military recruiter in our town yeah we knew his face we yep. he was everywhere and there was just a pipeline and i would i would ask you dear listener if you're like, these guys are being a little dramatic, rewatch the <laughs> early MCU movies. Yeah. Watch Iron Man 1 again. And look at how the US military is portrayed. Look at how central to Iron Man, Iron Man 1 they are. It's all over. Like, yeah. it, it's coming from inside the house. I, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Do you like scary movies? How about war movies? <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting. It's also so interesting, Marvel being born out of World War II mm-hmm. and then kind of dying out and then coming back as the Cold War surges in the, the 1960s. The Space Age, yeah. And then existing very strongly through the cold war and then a few years post cold war bankruptcy 9-11 comes back incredibly strong has stayed incredibly strong through this second strange cold war that is fascinating the the relationship that the military and its you know biggest events in the u.s history has paralleled with marvel and I think that, like, again, you you look at the, you know, the militarization of the MCU, how, you know, all of the gadgets and the outfitting and the, you know, we can't have these be costumes, they gotta be Kevlar, like, right down to the, you know, the costume design has very much been influenced by the same things that made the Ultimates so, quote-unquote, groundbreaking at the time. And as a military brat, like, again, this is stuff that was already ingrained in me. So I didn't see this as anything atypical. And it wasn't until I got older and I started looking at, you know, the origins of this stuff that I was like, oh, well, this is weird. Hold on. And... I want to say, you know, very quickly, I'm not trying to, you know, disregard or discredit anyone who's put on the uniform or served. Not at all. Uh, what what you do is incredible. The The industrial complex behind our military is something that I think is worth questioning and worth examining. And I think that looking at, the, looking at this comic through that lens brings the brings a different dynamic that I don't think most people see when they first read this comic. 
I think what's hard is the, I mean, post Vietnam, really, the people who are victims to this system, just as much as you are, are held culpable because we don't feel like we can hold the people who are actually responsible culpable. Right. You know, people are, I mean, I'm a Tom King fanboy. Love him. Same. Love his work. People are so mad at him for constantly being a part of the military in the early 2000s. And ultimately, that's your own journey. That's your own, sort it out yourself. But for me, like, I was alive at that time. I know what it was like at that time. And ultimately, I am more angry at the leadership of America than I am with someone who was either told they could have free college or told that this was the most important sacred thing you could be doing every 15 seconds of his life. Yeah. At that point, you know, like I played army in my backyard when I was six years old. We all did. We all did. Yeah. And like that idea of like, you know, there was a stage of my life where I was like, well, yeah, my dad served. I'm obviously going to serve out of high school and I'm going to, you know, join the military and what a different world my life would have been in if I had done so. Um, you might not be listening to me on this if I had, you know, taken that path. Uh, that's a problem for Earth 3, Eric. And, you know, it's it's fascinating. And as we're kind of, you know, winding down here, wrapping up, like this comic, again, on one hand, one of the wolves, uh, who is a fortunate son, is a biting commentary on the you know, the post 9-11 fascination with nationalism, with quote-unquote patriotism, and how that can affect a world that is supposed to also support the supernatural and the fantastic and, you know, superheroism through that militarized lens. But on the other hand, feels outdated by virtue of not only what was going on in retrospect at that time, but through the lens of over 20 years later and looking at this comic from both those perspectives of like, yeah, there are certainly some times where this comic absolutely drives like it drives a tank right out of the helicarrier and straight onto the Hulk. But like, there are also moments where it's like, you feel kind of uncomfortable reading this book with some of the themes, some of the things that characters, you know, some of the way that characters talk, about themselves and to each other like it, it's a fascinating piece of comic book history that if for nothing else i would recommend looking at just to see kind of how far we've come in our view of these characters i think the last thing i would say about the ultimates their role as an artifact of american propaganda and an artifact of the superhero genre is that they are born out of a deep hurt yes. and the cynicism baked into them was baked into America. And like I said earlier in the show, I feel like it still is very much a part of America. And I think the superhero rather than be needing to be pushed towards that cynicism needs to be remembered as a product of another great hurt in World War II from 
created by the Jewish community in the post-Holocaust world as a shining light. Superheroes were created as the great hope post a dark time. And I think rather than pulling them from their pinnacle, from where they were created as a symbol of where we want to go down into a symbol of what we are, I think that we should look at them again as a beacon of where we want to go. I think we should allow ourselves to move past the cynicism that has been baked into the last 20 years. Because ultimately, I think we deserve better than to feel that hurt forever. You know? Yeah. That hurt has caused so much hurt. It has caused so much darkness. And I think it, it's still around in strange ways. I don't know. I, I, I am glad to see brighter superheroes because I think they are a litmus test for how we are feeling about ourselves. I think we deserve to feel a little brighter and more excited about ourselves, about our future, and I want to see it reflected more frequently in our fiction. So I am glad a little bit that the Ultimates feels off-putting because it shows that we are slowly detaching ourselves from the hurt that created them. Absolutely agree. Dallas, I, I knew this was going to be a good conversation, man. As, as, soon as, as soon as we penciled that in, I was like, this is going to be great. And I, I truly appreciate you coming on, giving your perspective on that. Because this is, it, it's a piece of history, whether we like it or not. It really is. And as we're, you know, wrapping up here, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. This, it's, it's always a great time talking to you, if you haven't already. Go check out Comics Collective. They're amazing. I was fortunate to be a guest on uh, the on their podcast last week as you're re- listening to this. Uh, talking about Superman, which is a very different comic from this. Yes. <laughs> a different kind of artifact, but an equally fun conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if our listeners want to uh, follow up with you and everything you do, where can they find you? You can find me primarily at my podcast the comic book collective comics collective and follow me over on twitter i'm a little more active there recently that is dallas underscore comics and hopefully i mean i've got some stuff in the works trying to get my foot in the door in the publishing industry so hopefully i have next time i'm on geek explained hopefully i've got some news about that so everybody wish me luck Hell yeah. If you you better wish him luck right now. That's right. You, you, listener. Listener. The I ultimates are you. at your door. <laughs> the ultimates are at your door. And if you, you have to prove you're not a Shatari by by wishing Dallas luck in his publishing pursuits. Prove it. Prove it right now. We can hear you. We're listening. Tell us the Eighth Amendment right now where the ultimates <laughs> are gonna kick your ass. But yeah, I've I say it every time, but it's true. If you if you like what we do here, you're gonna love what they do in the Comics Collective. They are your favorite comic podcast, favorite comic podcast, and you need to give them all the love that they deserve. Give them some reviews. I want to hear them read some more stuff. Do I it because agree. they're great. Also, give Eric more reviews. There <laughs> is no one that works as hard in the comic book podcast scene <laughs> as Eric Azana. You get two episodes a week. Eric's like, I'm taking it light this month. And it's one episode a week. This man is on a publishing schedule that borderlines on sadistic. 
I am consistently impressed with the quality of product, the enthusiasm for the medium, and the drive to make you feel it as well. Geeksplained is an incredible podcast. You know that. You're listening to it. Go and shower as much love as you can on Mr. Eric Kazana. He is a light. He is delightful. And I'm so glad to call him friend. You're going to make me cry. But I'm I'm a man in the ultimate, so I can't cry. I can't cry. <laughs> Some folks have all made away the flag. No, but seriously, um, th- this comic, as Dallas so eloquently put, was you know born out of a lot of hurt, and hopefully, with the potential of this new Earth sixteen ten, we can see. A little bit of that cynicism shy away and make it truly an ultimate universe. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of June 21st, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week and for me it was really tough but ultimately i did give it to captain america cold war omega number one um real quick can somebody answer the phone uh because i fucking called it i called it i knew it um i've i've been talking about this for a little bit but i my whole thought process with the announcement of the new straczynski cat book with it looking like imagery wise that this might be a past story for Steve and with Sam being the captain, the captain of America in uh, the Avengers book that, oh, Cold War might end up with Steve, you know, back in Dimension Z and just staying there. And wouldn't you know, spoilers, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I don't know how this is going to affect the uh, what's it called? The Captain America anniversary issue next month, or how that's gonna factor into the big finale that the Hive Mind and Tony Onyabuchi have. But we will see. We will see. But I'm just I'm basking in it. I'm basking in knowing I was correct without any insider info. Just it seemed like it lined up. It seemed like the stars aligned for this to be the conclusion. So I'm really excited. The book was excellent a great sticking of the landing for cold war and i can't wait to see what they do next but that's last week's books this week we've got one two three four five six ten books for you to check out so let's go ahead and dive into this list with a big old landmark issue to kick things off it's wonder woman number eight Hundred. That's right. Eight hundred issues of Wonder Woman. This is written by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, Tom King, with art by Cully Hamner, Daniel Sampier, Todd Knock, Joelle Jones, Jen Bartell, Skylar Partridge, Aletha Martinez, and so many more. Uh, this is your big Wonder Book. This is the landmark issue, the extra size spectacular, as the cover uh states and this is also the very very beginning much like the flash uh issue earlier this month last month uh was 
it's the beginning of the Tom King Wonder Woman run, which I'm very interested in. So let's go ahead and dive into this synopsis and find out what this big landmark issue has in store for us. Diana's visions become more vivid as she finds herself trapped in the dreams of those around her. As she struggles to escape, her life as Wonder Woman hangs in the balance. When the dust settles, will she still be the Amazon's greatest champion? Find out in this extra special celebration. This is also supposed to be the issue that debuts Trinity, who is Wonder Woman's daughter. I am super interested in how they pulled that all off, so I can't wait to pick this up, and I'm hoping that you do as well. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is The Incredible Hulk number one. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Nick Klein. And this is, from what I understand, supposed to be back to the... uh, horror-inspired tales of the Hulk, kind of taking it back to his, is he a man or is he a monster kind of uh, vibe, which I'm super into. I like that idea. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and figure out what this thing is about. The Age of Monsters has begun. As an enraged Hulk tries to take control of Bruce Banner's body permanently, a mysterious immortal turns every monster in the Marvel Universe against Banner in an attempt to free their creator, the primordial mother of horrors. With the help of an unlikely new friend, Banner and Hulk must try to stop the world from getting plunged into darkness in this terrifying new series. So yeah, that sounds awesome, and it sounds honestly right up Nick Klein's alley. He has such a way with cosmic and body horror that i'm i'm super stoked to see what they do with this for sure next up we have titans number two this is written by tom taylor with art by nicholas scott and that first issue boy was it controversial uh i'm still trying to kind of process how i feel about that first issue um i don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't read it yet but we all know that a murder occurs so i mean we'll just have to see we'll just have to see uh let's dig into the synopsis and find out how the mystery unravels out of the shadows part two a titan is murdered Will the new era for the Titans end almost as soon as it's begun? After one of their own is found dead, the remaining Titans must look for answers before more blood spills. Can they outrun the horrible fate they've been dealt? Plus, a new brother blood rises as the team begins to fall apart. Gotta have the brother blood! It's classic! No, but seriously, I'm very excited about this. I really enjoyed that first issue, even though as uh, as divisive as it was. Uh, and I'm excited to pick up the second issue. Next up, we have Scarlet Witch Annual number one. I'm really excited about this. This is written by Steve Orlando with art by Carlos Nieto. And the Scarlet Witch book has been so good. If you haven't started reading that book yet now is the time they just finished their first arc they're getting ready for some kind of big old crossover so pick this up do yourself a favor you're gonna have a good time with it let's dive into the synopsis contest of chaos prelude When a newly rejuvenated Agatha Harkness learns of the Scarlet Witch's recent absorption of C'thon, she decides to educate her former student on the dangers of such an endeavor. But Wanda is not the meek pupil she once was, and Agatha's intentions are not so straightforward. This epic clash between Marvel's most powerful witches sets off a chain reaction that will affect the course of Marvel's summer! 
So it's cool that Scarlet Witch seems to be at the center of Marvel events again. Wanda's such a great character, and this run has been really great at repositioning her and her place in the Marvel Universe. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm cautiously optimistic about Contest of Chaos, because it just sounds like another dumb crossover. But I'm interested, to, and I'm hoping to be proved wrong. Next up, we have Superman number five. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jamal Campbell. This book rules. This book is so good. I've really loved the kind of return to classic Superman the Animated Series style stories. Some people might think it's reductive. Some people might say, oh, it's too simplified. There's nothing here. I disagree. I think a reset to a kind of back to basics approach before you can really get into some of the weird bullshit that they do is much needed for this book and for this character. So I'm excited to see what they do with it. Plus, the book's just really good. <laughs> the book's just really good. I've been really enjoying it. The art is, of course, gorgeous, and it feels like the Superman that I know. So I've been loving it. Let's go ahead and dig into the synopsis. Chapter 5, The Power of Love. That's the power of love. Silver Banshee is back, and more dangerous than ever. Given a massive power upgrade by Lex Luthor's arch enemies, Silver Banshee's scream rocks Metropolis, and Superman must stop her from destroying his city while also saving her life. Be ready for the shock ending that stabs this series in its heart. Oh, I... Oh, this is what I'm talking about. You get the reset for the first four issues, and then this is promising to do something drastic. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Next up, we have The Avengers number two. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Carlos Villa. This, this, this book, it, it's really good. <laughs> I, I knew that the book was going to be good because Jed McKay has been crushing it in everything that he's been doing, but that first issue rocked my socks, and I've been really, really excited to pick up the second issue, so let's dig into the synopsis and find out what's what. The Avengers find themselves with a rare gift, foreknowledge of the dangers coming their way in the form of the deadly tribulation events. But can this information be trusted, and can even Earth's mightiest heroes triumph in the face of cascading disaster? Oh no! Okay, everyone check on Anne at Anne Likes, or Anne Reads Comics, or Anne Likes Comics. We're not putting Carol through more minority reports! No, I don't want it! We can't do this! We just got the hype from the Captain Marvel announcement. Oh, I'm getting Civil War II flashbacks, and it's not good. It's not good. But I'm interested to see how they do this. Uh, and if it's different, because, I mean, spoilers for that first issue, Kang is involved. So we'll see how this shakes out for Carol and the rest of the Avengers. Next up, we have Batman Superman World's Finest number 16. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. And you know how much I love this book. I don't got to tell you how much I love this book. It's so freaking good. Um, it's just, it's, come on, the Mora and Wade. Like, this feel, it's quickly becoming like, one of those like iconic comics duos, your your Lee and Kirby, your uh, Miller and Jansen, your you know, I don't know, uh, Bendis and Bagley. Like this is quickly becoming one of those 
duos that people are going to look at as like the standard for creative teams. So I've been loving it. You know how much I love this book. Uh, So go read it and let's dig into the synopsis. Elementary, Chapter 4, Overdrive. Batman and Superman versus Machines! AI villains and heroes, Shaggy Man, GI Robot, Red Tornado, and Chemo among them, have launched a global cyber attack alongside New Mezo's soldier. A New Mezo, I forgot. Uh, Batman, Superman, Robin, and Metamorpho the Element Man are unprepared for the onslaught. With millions of lives on the line, the world's finest team must find a way to pull the plug before it's too late. You know what? That's really freaking cool. Okay. Real quick, just as an aside, what I love about Mark Wade is that, first off, he's the biggest Superman fan in the world, but also he loves the DC Universe so much that he, in creating this world's finest book, created a book where Batman and Superman are your constant but every arc gets a spotlight on who is the world's finest the world's finest heroes okay so we got the doom patrol we got supergirl we got robin we got mr terrific we've gotten and now we have metamorpho putting the spotlight on these characters and calling them part of the world's finest team is just so freaking cool and it's a great like double speak for the title of the book in that you're getting yes the traditional world's finest of batman and superman but also these are the world's finest stories these are the world's finest superheroes and they're all on the same team in the same universe i just i love it i love it so much it's such a cool concept but yeah, this book rules. New Mezo is hilarious. But I really am digging how varied and different each arc is. So keep doing what you're doing, Wade and Mora. You're crushing it. Next up we have, speaking of crushing it, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This is written by The Hive Mind, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, with art by Kev Walker, of course. And this book rules. This book also rules. Uh, issue 2 was phenomenal. And issue three is promising to be really scary and tragic. So let's go ahead and dig into the synopsis. Hunt of the Spartax. Bittersweet reunion. The Guardians find themselves face-to-face with their old teammate Groot. But he's not the friend they remember. Will this be a happy reunion or an all-out massacre? It may be the latter, as the rift between this family runs deep. So it sounds like we might actually find out what the hell is going on with Groot. This Groot fall thing has been terrifying from the jump, and I am really excited to get any kind of backstory information on this. Cannot wait to pick this up at my LCS. Next up, we have Nightwing number 105. This is written, of course, by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. And this is another experimental issue for this team. You'll remember the last time they did that one continuous issue. This time, they're getting even crazier. Let's dig into the synopsis and find out just what the gimmick is for this issue. Masterminds Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo are back at it again. They're back at it again to present Nightwing fans another special issue uniquely designed for them to be Nightwing for a day. 
This oversized story will feature Nightwing from his point of view, allowing readers to use his escrima sticks and leap through Bloodhaven. You don't want to miss this issue, as there will be other surprises along the way, including who will show up beside you. I love this shit. This is VR the comic. I've... Look. Look. Look! I have been waiting for a Nightwing game for a really long time. That's why I love Gotham Knights so much. And so getting the opportunity to have a story like this, and especially because we don't see POV comics like this all that often, if ever, it it's what makes this team of an, another iconic comics team of Taylor and Redondo so special. So I am super jazzed to pick this up. Cannot wait to read this. But the big book of the week, of course, the book I think everyone should be picking up is... Ultimate Invasion number one. This is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Brian Hitch. And 21 years after lighting the world on fire with the Ultimates, Brian Hitch is back to bring his world back into relevancy. I am really stoked, as you can probably tell, due to me dedicating this entire month to the release of this comic. Uh, I am super stoked, really excited to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The transformation of the Marvel Universe begins. It's such a grand operatic opening uh superstar creators jonathan hickman and brian hitch team up the illuminati must form once again to stop the maker from his plans to destroy or perhaps rebuild the universe with miles morales at the center of it all brian hitch's work on the ultimates helped redefine superhero comics for the 2000s wait until you see what he and jonathan have in store for this decade including new data pages by Jonathan Hickman, everyone's favorite, plus exclusive behind-the-scenes material on the world-building that has gone into this project. So we do know that the Ultimate Universe is coming back. This is where it starts. I can't wait to pick this up. This is a must-get for me and hopefully for everybody else, too. Two, at least uh, a dozen, almost two dozen different... Uh, variant covers for this there's something there for everybody go pick this up you are going to love it i am going to love it i cannot wait to read it but that does it for this week's comics countdown to recap We've got Wonder Woman number 800, The Incredible Hulk number 1, Titans number 2, Scarlet Witch Annual number 1, Superman number 5, The Avengers number 2, Batman Superman World's Finest number 16, Guardians of the Galaxy number 3, Nightwing number 105, and Ultimate Invasion number 1. We've got some landmark achievements happening here. We've got some continuing chapters of long-running epics. We have some new comics debuting, and we have the return of the ultimate universe so it is your ultimate priority this week to go pick up some great comics and that is gonna bring us to the wrap-up if this is your first time joining us on the geek explained podcast and you like what i do here feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review we drop new episodes every single wednesday and honestly ratings reviews and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you and if you give us a five-star rating and review on itunes apple Podcasts 
whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll join the likes of our amazing Fantasy 15, including Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken 4656, and Director Hall. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Like I said, Keep bringing those reviews in. I want to hear them. I want five more by the time August rolls around. That is my goal. Please, if you enjoyed what you heard here, feel free to give me a review, even if it's a little one. It really does help me out, really helps the podcast out, gets us out and in front of other people who might not see it otherwise. Uh, That's just how it works here. So any little bit helps. And I love reading these reviews. So feel free to send them on over, okay? And then also, if you want to be part of the Geek Explained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to stay up to date on the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, maybe you just want the first notification when I make announcements for the podcast, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P O D uh, for as long as Twitter is around and uh, as I continue to try to get better with Instagram. <laughs> it's a process and I'm bad at it, but I'm working on it. So feel free to give us a follow there. Like I said, that's also the first place that I will be making announcements pertaining to the uh, to the podcast and also. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, by the time you are listening to this, I will have dropped the poll on whether we should continue the weekly review segment. So let your voice be heard. Go on Twitter at Pod. Give us a follow and vote in that poll. Finally, every single Friday, I, alongside my fellow Flash fam, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, put on the Geek Explained Book Club. And currently, we are going through every single issue of every single volume of The Flash Rebirth. This Friday is a big one. If you went and saw The Flash, whether you enjoyed the movie or whether you hated the movie, I think this one's going to be pretty interesting because we are covering the Flash and Batman crossover, The Button. You want multiversal stories? We got them. You want a twist on the Flashpoint story? We got it. You want the weirdness that comes from Zack Snyder and his Watchmen-obsessed views on the DC Universe being kind of bled into the DC Universe? We got that too! So go check this out this Friday. Uh, Flash Fridays are a real thing. Malcolm, Jacob, and I are having such a great time going through this right now. This is season four of the book club, so we must be doing something right if we keep this going. Go check it out this Friday. Be there or be square, not a circle. I want to say a huge thank you once again to Dallas from the Comics Collective Podcast for jumping on this to chat with me about the Ultimates. It was a pretty spirited conversation, as you can tell. And it's always interesting having Dallas on because I've said it before. I'll say it again. He 
has this gift of making me rethink comics that I feel like I've come at with every angle. And he truly has a gift. And his podcast, uh, The Comics Collective, alongside Ann and Lexi, shout out to them, is amazing. They are just the most wonderful trio. If you enjoy talking about comics, if you enjoy exploring comics, both comics that you are familiar with as well as ones that you might not be as familiar with, Go check them out. They basically do a book club every single week, and they are wonderful, wonderful people. Much love to them. I am honored and pleased as punch to call them friends. So go check out their show. But that does it for part three of Ultimate June Vision. Next week will be our grand finale of our foray into the Ultimate Universe. And with Ultimate Invasion dropping this week, we are going to be now looking at the Ultimate Universe as a whole as I count down the top 10 essential Ultimate Comics. There are a lot of Ultimate Comics to parse through, and whittling this list down is going to be a monumental effort. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explain podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Thank you.